Hey everybody, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. There's been a lot that has happened in the world in the last month since we've gotten together in our own family busy schedules, but also just um, in popular culture in our country and society that we want to talk about today. So today is more of a commentary on what's going on in the world and just where we are in the world. Hodgepodge. Yeah, completely. Yeah. So we're going to start with politics. We're going to start talking about the the impeachment of our president. So um, we we were talking about this earlier, <clears throat> and uh, I hope I hope that as we talk about this, maybe you, sincerely, Jeremy and I have various political ideologies, but I don't know that either of us are are hardline are hardline any either way. You know, I'm sure that throughout our lifetimes we've had different political I- ideas, but um, really, both of us kind of in this political season are more spectating than anything because we're pastors of congregations that mine would be more conservative than anything, wouldn't yours? Yeah, definitely more conservative, but doesn't mean we don't have some people that that maybe lean or bend towards um, some liberal views. Well, yeah, 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 moderate, exactly. Probably more moderate than anything else. So. Right, 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 right. So, I mean, this these are just the context. So, we're careful – if you're like trying to, if you're trying to like, if you're listening to this podcast, like trying to figure out like, okay, what's the agenda here? Really, it is to be pastoral, and like we're not trying to lose our jobs as pastors to like upset people, but also try just try to help everyone think think like a Christian, which is the mission of the podcast, right? The third way to be Absolutely. evangelical. Absolutely. So anyway, so so President President Trump was impeached by the House of Representatives, and what I was saying to Jeremy was, you know, of all the things that. Um, I've heard in the news or people talking about the president. On the one hand, this seems this seems to me like if I'm a Democrat, I don't know that it would be the thing that I would impeach the president on. Just based on you know a conversation about you know shady business, um, and it, it does seem like that the aid to Ukraine was eventually released, and it 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 really unfortunately does seem like a um, a kind of a witch hunt more than anything. Like, hey, what can we how can we make this happen maybe before the election or whatever it is? And and it really does seem like politically – and we'll, we'll find out in November, I mean, ultimately. Absolutely. But it does, it does seem like there was this, – this plan may have backfired in a sense. But the impeachment brought about a lot, of, a lot of different dynamics in the country. I mean, it's probably you as a listener have probably seen in your own family and conversation, Facebook feeds, Twitter feeds. I mean, people really um, – <clears throat> just really divided – Politically, I mean, the State of the Union, in some senses, was sad, just in the sense that you have half of the room elated, half of the room just never even standing. I mean, if there's ever been a time that you know that we're divided politically in America, I mean, it's it's right now, and I feel like the impeachment more than anything is probably indicative of that, right? Of the of the harsh division. Yeah, I read an interesting article about the State of the Union that whether you agree, and you know, there was the whole political. Um, posturing and, and standing where Trump didn't shake Pelosi's hand and then Pelosi rips up the State of the Union yeah, address. Right, yeah. And I read an interesting article that said for the first time ever that those two actions could have been the most honest thing that either one of them could have done. Now that was in- intriguing because it was saying that that our country is divided and that's probably how both of them actually did feel. But for whatever reason, for one night of the year, we put on a good face. We 
We, we smile, we, we act dignified, but in that moment, it may have been the most honest thing that either one of them could have done, and, and what we saw in those moments was actually where our country is. Yeah. And, and yeah. whether we agree or disagree, whether we think Trump should have shaken her hand or Pelosi should have ripped up the State of the Union, and, and there's a variety of opinions on all of it, but we actually saw for the first time where we were as a country and 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 they they were a mirror to us, whereas before, once again, sometimes the niceties and the things give us a false sense that maybe things aren't things aren't as bad or things aren't the way that they actually are. And so I, I just thought it was inter- intriguing that the guy said for the first time that may have been the most honest thing they could have done in that moment. Mm. Yeah, I mean that <clears throat> it it is it is amazing. We, we we tend to focus on our divisions, but it is amazing that we still, as a society, civilly, in a sense, can get together. Sure. You know, and that we still put to, we put in place that practice. Uh, I think it is Nancy Pelosi, as the Speaker of the House, issued an inv- invitation to President Trump to deliver the State of the Union. Now, it's a formality. But it's but it is a it is a nice formality and it, and even though we are divided we still we still move on and we still recognize that we we have to work together, you know. And our democracy is going to fall apart the day that people decide you know what it's not worth working together anymore. Right. And I I hope that we're not close to that point, you know. Uh, because of the impeachment, we were talking about one of the more significant stories coming out of the impeachment is is Mitt Romney. The previous presidential candidate during Barack Obama's second election cycle, um, he voted against President Trump for one of the articles of impeachment. Obstruction which, of Congress, I think. Is that that was the one? I think believe okay. so. And and he received a lot of backlash. You know, um and this is kind of the social media thing. A lot of a lot of people who voted for Romney or were really excited about having Romney possibly as the president in Barack Obama's time coming online and saying, you know, he's a he's a traitor, he's a terrible person, you know, because he what he says is that he voted his conscience. Now I understand there are a lot of different opinions of this, and and I'm 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 very aware in my own in my own circle. That some people believe that there's not an ounce of integrity in Mitt Romney, that he just is, that this is just a political move, that this has absolutely nothing to do with righteousness. But I mean, I always, I always, <laughs> I kind of ask myself the question, like, you know, when anybody does something publicly that they know they're going to get backlash for, there might be an ounce of goodness or integrity behind it. There might be. You know, I mean, when we look back in history, <laughs> the people that were persecuted usually stand on the right side of history. I mean, that's just, it's just kind of the, the way history goes. Right. Um, what do you, I mean, what are you, what are your thoughts on the Romney thing? I think that, I think when people do things that we agree with, we celebrate. And I think when people don't, we, we tend to, to lash out rather than, than try to come at it from a, a, a neutral place or a, okay, I may not agree with that, but he has every right to vote however he wants to. And if that's the way he feels, God is asking him to vote. And I think 
The sad part for me, probably the saddest part, was a, a prominent evangelical leader came out. And and I think this is where the rub comes for us as followers of Jesus as far as how much does our faith truly inform how we are to think. I think it should holistically, but there are some thoughts that... You kind of compartmentalize. That you compartmentalize. Faith is over here. Exactly right. Nationalism is over here. Right. And so a, a prominent evangelical leader came out and said, I saw an interview, and he said, Mitt Romney should have put his faith in his pocket on this one and done what was right for the greater good of the country. Was this Falwell? Yeah. Was it the Liberty guy? Yeah. Yeah. And which is intriguing because I bet if it was a different issue, say um, abortion or other things. Oh, you got to vote your faith, man. He would have wanted his faith to be voted. And so it's this compartmentalization of faith is good in this instance, but not in this other. And, And so, like I said, and I think obviously... Some people have said, oh, it actually has to do with Mitt Romney's past and how he's voted on things. You know, yeah. I'm sure there's some other things that came up. So it's just- I've it, even heard, I've even heard uh, uh, Mitt Romney's son is also a prominent businessman, maybe has some similarities <laughs> to Joe Biden and is kind of anxious about, you know, how it would have ramifications for him in his own life in the future if he- So I think that as as we're looking at it, that that's what I feel like we as Christians have to- or followers of Jesus, people of faith have to really grapple with is are there ever moments where we look at our faith and say, you shouldn't, this shouldn't influence, or is it for us saying it's always, it should always be the center? And and are there moments where where we look at it and say, oh man, I got to put this aside or push this aside? And I think that that is a scary place to be, maybe a place of that would be a concern to me that that would be the the reason you would disagree with him, not because you thought it was just the wrong decision, but that you would question him and say, hey, there's moments when we have to put this aside. That that That's a scary place to get. You could disagree. Yeah. You, you can look at Mitt Romney and say, I don't agree with how you voted or the, why you voted that way. But for a, a Christian evangelical leader to make the statement that we have to compartmentalize and put our faith aside, I think is a scary place to be as a follower of Jesus. So one of the things that this episode has made me think about is the angry mob. Mob mentality. Yeah. You see this throughout history. It's, it's a part of Frederick Nietzsche's ideology. Kind of the herd mentality is what he talks about. The dark philosopher. But and, and and it is it is not insignificant that Jesus was crucified by the angry mob, you know, which is a very important part of our own faith. And and we, <clears throat> as Christians, often look at the episode of the cross and we we ask the question, you know, are we are we a part of the mob? A very famous song, "How Deep the Father's Love for Us," says, "Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers." This idea that we all kind of stand in the angry mob. <clears throat> I bring that up to say. What is what is interesting to me about the divide politically in America is that each each party is an angry mob. Yeah. Each party yells out angrily their their point. And if and if you if you're a part of that group at all and you deviate from what that from the entire mob platform, you get blasted. I mean, you just get torn down. There is no place for anyone to leave the angry mob. So if you're a Republican, so Romney, for example, Romney, 
he he votes against he votes against his party. The angry mob lashes out. There's no room for him. You can't you can't be you can't be independent, dude. You got to do what the you know you got to do what the and and people um, I mean I feel so bad for uh for pro life Democrats. <laughs> like like those people, you just have no, you know, like socially, like they want to see, they want to see us move more social socialist and like, but but morally that you know they have a hard time. And these people, I mean, they just don't have a place. They in are sojourners <laughs> in our country. You know, it's so tough, man. <laughs> but but it, it but it is this, but it's the angry mob. Yeah, like the angry mob makes no room for somebody on the outside, and. It's just the last couple of episodes, we're really not stringing these together intentionally. Maybe it is just kind of where Jeremy and I are living ideologically and kind of where we are in our own lives. But talking about Martin Luther King Jr., you know, on our last podcast, a couple podcasts ago, uh, talking about um, just just different people and, and how it, in America politically right now we are loyal, you know, to, particular, to, partic- to a particular party. Mm-hmm. I just... I, I, I can't help but think about but think about the mob, you know, and how and I ask myself the question, what angry mob am I a part of? Yeah. Which I don't know that any of us actually considers our people to be angry, you know? Or like or like a mob. And um I'm not I'm not just self deprecating here. I'm being sincere. I I wonder what what are my beliefs and the, my group of people's beliefs that we hold on to so firmly that if I were to deviate from them, you know, I I would be cast out. And I, I just, um, on the one hand, and again, I, I really, I don't know what's going on in the Mitt Romney thing. I don't know what's inside his head. I don't know what his motivations are. I'm not making a political statement here. I do, in a sense, admire anyone who, knowing what their backlash is going to be. I mean, he said it in his speech before Congress. He's like, I recognize the backlash, but I'm doing this. You know, I admire anybody who has that kind of courage and fortitude. Um, He will be looked down upon for a generation, at least in the Republican party. I mean, I don't know that he'll go to his grave being looked. I mean, he may not get reelected. Oh, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it could have huge immediate, implications for him. Here's something that I think just explains mob mentality. And this is so contrite, but I think it just gives the essence of, of how this plays out. So I, this is going to sound silly. I'm sorry. But so my youngest son, uh, we went to the high school varsity girls basketball game last Thursday, intense game, student sections going crazy. Couple of questionable calls. Undoubtedly, my youngest son is sitting in the student section they are just flipping out oh, and yeah. comes down to the last second. Which honestly, just like being a student, that is probably the funnest angry mob to be a part of. You know, this, this oh, my, my seventh grade son at the end was like, that was the best thing I've ever been a part <laughs> of in my life. But so comes down last second, we end up losing the game. One of the students literally is yelling at the refs. I don't know what happened to our school, but they made it to where the refs have to walk by the student section. To oh, get yeah. To their locker. oh yeah. And just going, and so my son afterwards was like, "Dad, it was awesome." 
he goes, people were like swearing. I mean, he's like, it was yeah. nuts. Yeah, we were on the mountain. Dad. We were, it was, <laughs> he's like, that is the best. I am sitting in the student section every oh, time yeah. when we go to games. Oh, and I was yeah. like, all right, that's cool. I was like, but for him to stand up and say, guys, this is not the way we should be responding. <laughs> it was so much easier for him. He's like, I wasn't swearing, dad. I promise. I wasn't, I wasn't, but I, you know, we were yelling. It was a lot of fun, blah, 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 blah. And I said, all right, son, just be careful because that when you get in that moment, it could cause you to do things that's going to reflect badly on, on who you are. And there was one student that actually the principal had to go over and say, hey, you need to get back in the student. Like, wasn't yeah. following the refs out, but was just making sure that, that the refs yeah. knew and was standing kind of away from the mob because it was the pot. And everybody was like cheering him on because this mentality of, we were in this together. You know what I'm saying? And so I just said, hey, son, like, that's cool. You know, like, I, I wasn't trying to, like, come down and say, don't be a part of the student section. But I was like, we just have to understand that when you get in the emotion, sometimes you do things that you think everybody else is like, they're going to cheer this and I'm going to be the hero. And it's so much harder to stand against that. And I know that's such a contrite, like it's so small in comparison, but I think it goes to show that even as a seventh grader, you just get caught up in the emotion of what's going on. And you're just a, assumed that you're going to go along with everybody else. And like I said, if one of those students would have stood up, stood up and said, this is dumb. Why are we yelling at the refs? This is just a bad, like they would, they would have been looked at and, and, and not obviously kicked out of the student section, but it's so just that mob mentality. And it's on both sides. It is on both sides of the aisle where, where if you don't get in line and you don't step in line, and I think that's why it's so interesting with the Democratic Party that they're having such a hard time because you have these Bernie supporters. But I think you have some more moderate Democrats that don't want to talk about Medicare for all and don't want free college tuition for all and yeah. don't want all of these things. And they're having this almost this identity crisis on some level, which I think the Republican Party had. Four years ago, when when Donald Trump was was the nominee, yeah, are we gonna are we gonna fall in line? Um, yeah. and how some candidates at the time, you know, it's it's it would I would it would stink to be a politician because everything you say is on camera and they bring it back yeah. and throw it in your face the whole time. And how many of the Republicans called Trump a bigot and a womanizer, and now they're his biggest. Supporters. Supporters. Advocates. Yeah, and, sure. and so it's just this interesting dynamic of he kind of changed on some level the Republican Party. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just a true, you know what I'm saying? A true statement. And you either got to get on the train or you're going to get ridiculed and get kicked off the train. So I'm, I'm, I'm working on a PhD right now, and which is a pretty high level of education. And one of the things that's interesting to me is even at that high level of like intellectual thought, people love to be a part of a crowd. They love to be a part of a mob. And like they love to use their intellect for the service of a crowd. Like no matter how smart people are, there's this, there's this kind of deep, deep desire in humans to be a part of the mob. Yeah. And Nobody like, wants to be on the outside. Well, so that's the thing. That's the thing. And it, it's amazing. I sit in some of these classes and I listen to these professors who are like, on the one hand, I like, I've read a lot of books and are really, really smart. But they'll, they'll, they'll say things sometimes that is, it's as if they're using their PhD to 
to to to push some sort of mob idea, whether it's a political idea, whether it's a social idea, whether it's an academic idea, like they've they've obviously bought into a particular school of thought, and their 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 credential is their you know dissertation, and then they use that to kind of promote these things. I I just see hardly anybody in in our society today who's willing to say no. I'm sorry, I don't fit in any of your categories. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't like because because there's 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 evil in all of them. Yep, and I'm not going to comfortably I'm not going to comfortably take your take your badge and wear it. Right, because of all that's associated with it. Like I'm I'm going I'm going blank. I'm going no name brands. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like nobody says that. Because we all want to be able to be kind of associated with something, which, which well, this has been kind of a theme in our podcast as well. Like, we're both convinced that actually this is kind of the heart of Christianity is that over against everything else and association with Jesus. And the thing is, Jesus isn't a good name brand. Like, right. Jesus doesn't sell. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus doesn't get elected ever, you know? Um, and... But everybody wants Jesus on their side. Well, it's that is so right. Everybody wants Jesus on their side. Yeah. And I, I heard um He gets co-opted at every turn. Andy Stanley just did, and I'm I'm not backing everything Andy Stanley has ever done or said, but he did just yeah, did right. these three sermons on po- politics and some pretty good stuff. If you go online, you should check this guy out. It's it's pretty it's pretty Christian. It's pretty good. It was unbelievable. And 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 he said that, that it's funny because both sides quote the Bible. Sometimes both sides quote the same verse and use it in a totally different way. It's And he's right. And he this says... Is, he's making a very profound point here. He made us... He quoted Tony Evans, who... Um, pastor, well-known in the Christian community. And he made us... Uh, quoted him saying, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He, he came to take over. And I think that until we as Christians can embrace that and that once again not try to co-opt jesus and turn jesus into to what i want him to be but understand that he he didn't come to to jump into any political party on or on any side he actually came to to set up a whole new thing and until we can really grapple with that it's going to be hard to to leave the mob it's going to be hard to to leave the um the mentality of wanting to belong to that to, to, to a group of people that we feel comfortable with that we, because I, I, they, they, they like most of the same things that I like. And sometimes I can bend a little bit if they don't, because I get to be a part of the group and be a part of that mentality. And, and, and until we can, can, can just kind of stake our claim and say, like, Jesus is, is, is the one that I'm going to follow. And I think we've just gotten too comfortable and too complacent in our country. And, we love our religious liberty, and listen, I love it too. I'm not saying I want it to go away, but none of that was ever promised in Scripture. In fact, Jesus promised the opposite, not that you would have liberty, but you'd actually be persecuted, that you would actually, that you, you, would, you would face opposition, but we don't like that. And, and like I said, we love being comfortable. We love being a part of the group. And, um, and so as, as Christians, as followers, once again, just going back to the whole fall well like you got to put your religion in your pocket on this one you gotta you gotta you gotta put that in the back seat to me that isn't isn't what jesus was pushing and i I really think history is going to be interesting how history views this whole time in our country i was talking to um a lady um 
who is is gay and married to her partner and and uh, she's a family member and it's just interesting to see her take and and you know, we've talked about Kaepernick a whole lot and and um but she her take on him who once again stood against the mob stood against the 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 crowd her take coming from a place of of people who who are potentially a minority and pushed to the outside she goes history is going to look at Colin Kaepernick right now he's kind of the villain but he's going to be the hero and she thinks it's going to be kind of a Rosa Parks kind of moment like he he took a stand like in the immediate it cost him a football career in the immediate it cost him some things that that people would look at and say was it worth it but she thinks history is going to have a more positive outlook on on what he did, which is kind of an intriguing thing because he is definitely one that got kicked out of the um, the mob did not like Colin on one side for sure. The thing about the Colin Kaepernick situation, I mean, talk about controversial stuff to talk about on a podcast, but I, I kind of look at the Colin Kaepernick situation, you, you know, when, like this, like when you're younger, nobody wants you to say, your your parents don't want you to say OMG if you're a Christian. Oh my God, like like that's taking God's name in vain, right? Absolutely. And like, and you get in big trouble for saying that. But as you get older, you realize that taking God's name in vain is not just saying His name out loud in a in a like in a form of cursing, but taking God's name in vain is saying I am a Christian, but acting a way that is anti acting in a way that is anti Christian. It's the Brennan Manning uh, atheism. Or Christianity, the greatest form of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but walk out the door and let him down by their lifestyle. Like that's taking the Lord's name in vain, right? Attaching God's <laughs> name to something that has nothing to do with yeah, God. Yeah, and so what's really interesting to me about the, the flag thing, like everybody is so upset. And people still, I saw a post yesterday on like about the Daytona 500 where all of the people are standing for the national anthem and somebody said, hey, Colin Kaepernick. This is, or hey, Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, this is what the, the national anthem should look like. As if like the greatest form of nationalism is what you do during the national anthem. Like it's, it's such an, it's such a, no offense. You guys, I love America. Right. <laughs> My great grandfather, his brother signed the declaration of independence. Like I am as American as a guy can be in that sense. Like, and I'm proud of it. And I want to be a part of, I want to be a part of, moving forward as a great nation in the world sincerely but like what happens during the national anthem at a sporting event is makes no difference to anybody in the world like it just it just doesn't you know it's such a ridiculous ridiculous thing it's it's like this moment of nationalistic worship that doesn't make a difference for anybody you know and and what's what's interesting to me is like we get so upset. We get, we've gotten so upset about about Colin Kaepernick and these people that kneel. Um, I just saw online that a, at a private school there were some cheerleaders that were dismissed from their school um, from the cheerleading squad. Um, I th- maybe even dismissed from the school because they people are still kneeling during the national anthem, you know, as to pro- to protest whatever they're protest protesting. But I I think that it would be good for us instead of like just getting so angry about the, at these people about what they're doing during the national anthem to to maybe invite them into a conversation yeah. about national identity about the issues going on maybe they feel like their voice isn't heard and the only way that they can get taken seriously is is to do this and the fact of the matter is 
I mean, if we maybe we could maybe we could stop people kneeling at the national anthem if we'd stop talking about it. <laughs> I mean, that would that might actually for all the people that are really offended by this, that actually might be the best thing would be to just like stop talking about it, make it like a non-issue, yeah. and nobody cares. Yeah. The people that the conservative the conservatives made Colin Kaepernick. Absolutely. Like they gave him a platform. Yep. Stop talking about it. He doesn't have a platform, right? But just just in your in your people people 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 100 years from now, they're going to say what did Colin Kaepernick do? They're going to say he took a knee during the national anthem. And they're going to say so what was the big deal about that? <laughs> you know, I mean, they're just going to. You know, Rosa Parks actually sat in a section deliberately that she was not supposed to sure you know um he just you know took a knee i mean it's just it's crazy i don't we're, we're like we're just going we're going all different places today let's talk about kobe can we talk about kobe i think this yeah do you say what, what do you want to say about the the colin thing no like, i was going to transition and saying because i i think sometimes mom mentality can be a good thing say more about that i think with this whole kobe bryant um seeing the 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 overflow of people's response has done I, I think a actually brought some healing maybe. It's brought people together that um are on both sides of the political aisle who are now mourning together. Um and I'm not saying that the death of Kobe Bryant was a good thing, but I think that sometimes we we rail against mob mentality. And I think that there's definitely some negative aspects to that. But I think when things happen that bring a nation together, I think it also is part of this, this mob mentality that actually brings about, can bring about some good things in the world. And I think that what I've noticed through all of this Kobe Bryant stuff is, is once again, people of all nationalities, People all over the world who are mourning, who are observing things together, people who from all kinds of different walks of life who have a common um, a common thing they are are surrounding themselves with and, and investing in and, and and walking together that that if you are there, once again, it doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, we're mourning together and grieving together. And so I think that, that that's something that I've noticed through this time is a is just been, once again, how many people this has affected. And, 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 and just even personally, it was, it was way more emotional for me than I even anticipated. And, and I remember I was walking the dogs and I came in and my youngest son, we were watching, it was during the Pro Bowl, watching the Pro Bowl, which is a terrible football game. But, um, I walked in and, and my youngest son goes, hey, Kobe Bryant died. I was like, what? Like, I didn't, it's one of those things you just didn't yeah, believe at first. Right. And, and I was like, are you like, it was just so mind boggling. And, and so I think for me, I was talking personally a little bit. And then um, I, I think what summed it up for me and I think why I was so emotional and I think why this affected so many people around our nation and around the world was um, a guy named Skip Bayless, who I'm, I'm not... He's a writer for ESPN. He's a... Well, um, now he's on Fox or something, FS1 oh, or something. Yeah, yeah, FS1, yeah, FS1, that's FS1. right, he's moved over. Yeah, and um, I think he said it the best. And it, when he said it, it hit me like, oh, this is probably a bigger... Why it's a big deal. 
See, so I, I think why this is hitting so many people is we put our athletes and our the people who are in leadership over us, we kind of have this idea that they're immortal. And so when one of when a when a, a famous person that is just huge all over the world, when they die in a way that was like this, that was so tragic and so sudden, it kind of reminds you of your own mortality. It reminds you that, man, if it can happen to him, like it really can happen to anybody. And unfortunately, it's sad that it takes somebody of that stature because people die every day. People, people are, you know, pass away every day and it doesn't affect us. It doesn't move us as much as when a, a Kobe Bryant does. But I think when it does happen to somebody that we think is bigger than life, somebody that is, is, is just huge, and like I said, in the way that it did, it makes me look at my own life and think, man, I, am, I really am not promised tomorrow. Yeah. And, and so it, it just hit, I think, a nation. You know, I think it happens, you know, like when it's probably when JFK was assassinated. It, it hit to think, man, if, if the president can be, be killed this way, it, it allow it, it causes everybody to stop for a moment. Yeah, in that situation, it's more of like oh, national fear also. Exactly right. Yeah. Like everything's uncertain. Like where did this bullet come from? I mean, all of those moments too, I mean, you know, kind of compound. Yeah, I mean, anybody, any young man, especially who has children, Kobe Bryant dies and you just think to yourself, wow, we're just not guaranteed tomorrow. Yeah. You know, how have I, how have I written letters for my daughters or like, how have I prepared for if I'm all of a if I'm suddenly gone? Like, what sort of legacy have I left with them relationally? I mean, it makes you just want to hug your family, bring them closer, and just cherish the moments that you have all the more. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about with the death of Kobe Bryant is legacy for sure. You know, one of the one of the saddest things about about Kobe Bryant is he's only several years out from giving 20 years of his life to professional basketball, which takes a lot. You know, it takes a lot of time away from your family. It takes a lot of time away from other things you want to do. And I, my sense is that Kobe was kind of just getting into the swing of, I still have a lifetime ahead of me to do good in the world. What am I going to devote my life and time into? What kind of change do I want to be a part of? And he was spending time doing what I think is the most important thing one can do, raising his children, you know? Um, I think about, think about legacy. Unfortunately, the New, York, the New York Times, I think on Monday, had a story, a lady wrote a story, wanting to remind everybody of the episode in the early 2000s where Kobe Bryant was accused of raping a woman in a hotel as a young man and the the article essentially was just making the case you know let's not forget the bad about kobe bryant you know let's not forget to let's not forget this story you know which in my opinion is like is one of the saddest things that you can do for anyone just in the sense of i mean i mean there there are so many thoughts i don't i don't want to dismiss i don't want to dismiss the story i mean i want to be careful not to not to say that you know Kobe Bryant's just a saint and we should dismiss all the bad things about him, but you do kind of ask yourself the question: Are we all the sum of the worst thing we've ever done? Yeah. And again, I'm not. I am not minimizing what Kobe Bryant may have done. Okay. But, but it is it is interesting that we're we are in this place historically where we recognize the significance of telling a story about somebody's life and like 
how media and the shaping of their narrative really is how they're remembered in history. And, you know, this lady from the New York Times and whoever's editing, publishing, they really wanted to make sure, and maybe it's clickbait. I mean, obviously, like, that story got clicks that day. Unfortunately, that's also a part of the problem of American society sure. is that we're pushed so much by the market, not by compassion. Right. Compassion is not driving the machine. Capital is, yeah. you know? That's that's a massive problem in our society. But I I I think about I think about my own legacy. I don't know how you how you can't, but I also think about how are we remembering people, you know, in the world. There, there was a there was a guy I did a funeral for uh I think 2 years ago now who everybody in the room knew that he had been sort of ornery in his life. That he had um he had had a lot of uh, relations uh, with with uh, multiple partners, and uh, he was divorced a couple times. And but he was also this in his elderly age. He, he was just this marvelous person to be around. And I felt like it was worth saying in the funeral. You know, I'm I'm not here. My my goal today is not to make this individual out to be more of a saint or a sinner than he really was. Right. That's not the, the point. But the point is today to celebrate his life and to remind all of us that one day we will die. Yeah. You know? And I felt in the room, I kind of felt, I kind of felt a, um, uh, a, like a breath of relief, you know? Cause I, I think there, there was, there was some sort of acknowledging that kind of needed to be the, the the elephant was in the room, sure. You know, but but once it was acknowledged, it, it was it was like okay, we can we can move on together, you know. Um, it's interesting. I, in in even in my in my studies, we're starting to revise books that we read and take take books of scholarship off the shelves as we're hearing stories about possible allegations of sexual abuse, you know? So regardless of someone's contribution to the scholarly community, what, they've, what they're doing in their private life is, which, again, I'm not advocating for a separation of private and public life. I think that integrity is a very important thing. I think in some ways this is a good move, but it also is compromising the way that we remember people. Right. And their, their contribution to society, who they've been to us. Um, we... I don't know that we know as a society what are the most important things to lift up, lift up about about a human life, and these are just my own reflections thinking about Kobe. I loved Kobe yeah. as a, as a as a little kid in my backyard uh, when uh, when I would be playing one on one, I would be commentating as Bob Costas, you know, in the finals. I'd be like Kobe steps back, <laughs> he shoots, and like you know, if I miss the shot. I wouldn't finish the, the commentating, you know. He shoots, but like when I would hit the shot, you know, he scores. The Lakers win. The Lakers win. You know this kind of thing, you know, just trying to imitate, imitate uh, who Kobe was as a player. Those are just some thoughts on. on I do Kobe. think it is interesting though, and even with Michael Jordan, we do remember all the shots they made to win the games, but there was a lot of shots they missed where they lost the game, and. Yeah. And I think there's something said about Michael Jordan that he missed way more game-winning shots than he than he actually made. And I think that we might do better as a society to understand that sometimes sometimes the failures are what make 
the celebration and the wins even better. And and we we tend not to. And 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 I remember, and once again, I'm not. I, I obviously I wasn't a lawyer and stuff. And I think Kobe was acquitted, or you know, or I I think he was found to not um, have raped that it was consensual. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I, I'm just trying to remember. I don't remember exactly. It might have been some settlement. Yeah, out of, out of court. Cause. But I do remember his press conference and how how contrite and how um, sorry. I think he was, and he he understood the severity. I think, and and what it could mean, and how almost that was a turning point. I think in his life, and 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 how he was. So, I, like I said, all that to say, I think that as we how we celebrate people is, I think sometimes we might do a better job to say, man, they did fail at this point, but in their failure, they were humble, they were contrite, they. They didn't let the failure define them, but they uh, they allowed those moments to actually make them better and propel them forward rather than being the end of the story. And unfortunately, that story doesn't sell. I mean, nobody's going to put on the front of the New York Times, hey, remember the time when Kobe Bryant wept in front of the nation? When Kobe Bryant admitted, you know what? I'm I'm the king of my own world, and I have assumed until this point that everybody's worldview is the same as mine. And... I don't think that we had a similar idea of what was going on. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's not a story that's going to sell. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody's going to click on that, right? Yeah, I, I didn't read the article, but I would assume maybe that part wasn't even in sure the article because nobody wants to be like he did this, but man, he he totally walked it back and said I was in the wrong. And and I think that that unfortunately humbleness isn't something that's that's a big player in our our world and our country. And, and I think that as Christians, we would do better. Um, it's almost like Jesus said it himself, that we should clothe ourselves with humility through the Apostle Paul. And, and, and the, he was the example of humbling himself. And, and as we are living, and, and listen, I don't get it all right either, but I think how we handle our crisis moments, how we handle those moments when, when life when I maybe do something that isn't the best may say more about my faith than when life is going great. And, and, and so I think Kobe in that moment was a huge example of what it might look like to have a little bit of humility and say, I was wrong. And I promise you, this is not who I am and it's not who I want to be. Um, and so I think he was an example of that as well. I mean, honestly, I think that Kobe Bryant has a lot to teach us in our social situation. Just in reprioritizing as he was as he was in his life trying to figure out, you know, he recognized basketball is elusive. Mm. I'm not immortal. I can't play forever. So, how am I going to make my life meaningful? And a lot of a lot of professional athletes really struggle with this. A lot of professional athletes take their life. Mm. A lot of professional athletes fall into the Great Depression after their career because they have no sense of identity or being, and they can't um, they can't live for others. And Kobe Bryant was in the middle of turning his life to live for others, yeah. living for his kids, for his family, for his community, yeah. uh, to make the world a better place. Um, just, I mean, putting this back in conversation with our earlier conversation about politics and the mob and all this I guess, stuff that we've talked about today. I just, I just, I concur with with what you just said. Um, humility 
is going to go a long way in our situ in our historical situation that we are in right now to just bring us together as a people to help us listen to each other um to help us grow closer together uh i mean yeah i, I pray that god makes us more humble in these days you know and and just to piggyback one more thing i think that once again what we see in what has happened surrounding the death of Kobe Bryant and all these different ethnicities and groups coming together. I mean, it'd be amazing. This is a little tongue in cheek, but it'd be amazing if we had a, a body of people who centered their lives around, not on what socioeconomic class you came from, <laughs> centered their lives, not on what you were able to contribute. Who's who, who believed there was no Jew nor Gentile slave, nor free male nor female. It'd be awesome if we had a, a community of, of people who centered their lives around a Jesus and that every, every week it'd be awesome if we had a group of people who would get together and claim that kingdom, claim that understanding and started to create a mob mentality <laughs> of saying, you, you can come however you are, wherever you come from. And when you walk through these doors and we gather around this table all the things the world seems to divide us around, we're going to be united. And if it would just be awesome, if there was a group of people who centered their lives around being broken and poured out for each other. And we started to create a different mob mentality of love and grace for everybody. This is the church we hope to be a part of, right? Yeah. Amen. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.